Praise God. Hey, it's exciting and it should be exciting to be able to go say hello to a brother or sister of Christ, to pray for them, to lift them up, to bring things before the Lord. That's where the body of Christ was supposed to do that. Amen? Amen. So we should, we should enjoy that. There should be joy when we do that. You know, <coughs> excuse me, this time of year between Thanksgiving and Christmas is usually pretty crazy. It's usually pretty busy, and we move from Black Friday to Cyber Monday, uh, and it would make your head spin about the different discounts on different days with coupons or free shipping, putting the correct promo code in to take advantage of the deal that's within our grasp. You know, and our goal is, we're, we're focused on a goal of getting a gift for someone, that, a gift that we know that they can use it, a gift that can fulfill a need in that, for that person in their life, because we have a relationship with them. We care for them. And we want to show it. And we do that by giving them a gift. But having said that, we still want to bang for our buck. Oh, Super Church. I always forget Super Church. Run away, escape if you're going to Super Church. And you better be under four foot tall. What? <laughs> That's true. For the gorillas, it's like... Uh. <laughs> All right, so anyway, so we, we buy gifts for people because we love them, we want to show that love, and we, so we buy them a gift. You know, and, uh, but having said that, we do want to bang for our buck. We certainly want the best value, so we shop around. We're looking for those promo codes. We're looking for those discounts. We're looking for... We go to the Groupons. We go to the Retail Me Nots. These ringing bells... <laughs> amen. People are amen. Sites for these coupons and, and for codes that open the way to the best savings and, and attaining the desired gift. You know, for those who are not familiar with shopping online, it kind of works the same way as going to the counter in the store and giving them a coupon that you cut out of the paper or you received in the mail. Except online, when you have ordered and you go to the checkout screen, they usually have this box for you to put another, another code in a promotional code, or short for promo code, that you have found, which gives you your discount. For those who shop and are frugal, wise, and on a budget, that promo code can open a door to a gift that otherwise you might not be able to afford. And sometimes we're actually waiting for it. We're actually waiting for the discount. We're actually waiting for it to go on sale. We're actually waiting for that promo code. And for some, it's not good enough to say, I want it, to order it and go to the checkout screen, because you know what? They can't get it. It's out of reach without the code. So I'm sure most of you are sitting here, and they're waiting for me to make some analogy between eternal gift of salvation and Christmas gifts, because that's what we do this time of year. And I am in this sense. I am in the sense that there is you know, the gift of eternal salvation that is there. That's available to us through God's Son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross. He sent his Son to die on the cross for the sins of the world, to be the final sacrifice, to pay the final penalty for sin. And it's through his shedding of his blood and his sacrifice that we can be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, reconciled in our relationship to God the Father, and receive the gift of eternal salvation. And in that sense, the blessing for us is that that gift is free for us, although it wasn't free for Christ, Amen. He paid the price with the sacrifice on the cross. 
is by God's grace that we can have this undeserved gift, and it's a gift that's available to all. So let's just recap for a second. So we know that there is a gift of eternal salvation there, and the question that's often asked is, will you receive it? That's how it's often presented, that God has this free gift for you, eternal salvation, and he just wants you to receive it. He wants you to be willingly, willingly to receive this gift and become his disciple, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question about what I just said. Is that a true statement? Everybody's trying to think of what I just said. Um, listen, don't, it's not a trap. Yes, it's a true statement. But here's the problem. It's not a complete statement. And it's good to understand what's involved in receiving the gift of eternal salvation. It's not just about seeing the wrapped box, the Christmas paper, and the bow, opening it and taking out eternal salvation that awaits inside. There's more to it. There's more components to it that lead to a full understanding of what's involved in becoming a true disciple of Christ, a true convert, beyond just proclaiming it. And to do this, we need to start and we need to examine some of the components that I'm talking about. And the primary component is faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves is gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is through faith that we are saved, a faith that is given by God, and the Bible is clear about the means by which God gives faith. In Romans 10.17 it says, Yet faith comes from listening to the message of the good news, the good news about Christ. This is important. And faith is not a product of fancy presentation or entertainment or setting the right mood. Faith comes from hearing the word of God, the gospel about Jesus Christ. It is a supernatural event when we hear the truth and become aware that we are lost in need of a savior, in need of Jesus. Whenever the good news is preached, Whenever the good news about Christ is communicated, there is a potential for faith. And this is why it's so important that we're obedient to the Great Commission in sharing the good news about Jesus. Because this is the method that God has chosen for people to come to faith. Faith is the primary component. And I'm speaking about faith first because it is linked to something which is the real point here. It is linked to something that we often forget to mention and certainly is passed over by too many when they're preaching the gospel. It is word that Jesus brings to the forefront in chapter 21 of Matthew. And this is what he does there. When Jesus entered into the temple courts and after some questioning by the chief priests and the elders, he tells them this parable. Matthew 21, 28 says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But then he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Then Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Did you catch the word? Repent. 
puts a spotlight on this in these verses. And listen, when I was talking about that analogy about checkout screen and all that stuff, if you were to look at the checkout screen as faith, with the gift of eternal salvation that you're looking to get, or it's there and you want to receive, then the promo code is always going to be the same, and it's already filled in for us. And what the word that's typed in there is repentance. You see, saving faith is connected to repentance. There's no choice about Believing versus repenting. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'll repent that later. Doesn't work that way. And before we go any further, I think it's prudent that we're all on the same page and have an understanding of what repentance means biblically. And I do believe that if I asked people in here today what biblical repentance means, everybody would probably say it's more than saying I'm sorry. And most people would probably say that it's turning away from sin and turning towards God. Is that correct? And they would say that and be correct in the sense that it's part of it. It's part of it, but that's not the definition. Repentance comes from the word metanoa, which means to change one's mind. And even more than that, to change one's mind, which results in changing one's actions and behavior. See, in that parable, Jesus was clear in speaking to the religious leaders, and he tells them, the tax collectors, who were hated, and they probably still are, and the prostitutes, who were seen as unclean, were going to heaven because they repented and believed, and these religious leaders did not and weren't going to heaven. You see, the religious leaders weren't concerned about doing the will of God. They were shallow and superficial, They weren't about to repent. They talked a good game, but they weren't really obedient to God. Unlike those who society hated, who realized that they were sinners and needed a Savior and repented. Jesus calling them out was a condemnation of those who remain in rebellion against God, who really don't want to change, who say the right things but don't do the right things. Verbally, they were committed to righteousness, but in their hearts, they were not. Outwardly, they they pretended, but inwardly, they were dead. They pretended to be obedient to God, but remained defiant and disobedient. But as he still does today, the Lord saw right through that sham. It was the sinners who truly repented and received the gift of eternal salvation. It was the sinners who were going to be on their way to heaven repentance, eternal life. Though there is a gift of eternal salvation paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ waiting for us, but there's also this call throughout the word of God to repent that cannot be ignored. To receive the gift of eternal salvation, we need to have belief, faith in Christ, but faith will always be coupled with Repentance. And as we read scripture, as we look through scripture, and we look in the book of Acts, we see a major emphasis on repentance leading to salvation. And Acts 17, 29 says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. On Pentecost, Peter addressed the crowd in Acts 2.36. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. It's interesting here, there's no mention of faith. Why? Because it's implied. Repentance an element is an element of faith. They are connected. That day, 3,000 repented and received the gift of eternal salvation. When Paul was defending himself in front of King Agrippa, telling of how the events had unfolded in his life and what he had done for Christ, he says this in Acts 26, 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and to all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove the repentance by their deeds. God commands it, Peter preaches it, and Paul provides even more clarity when it comes to those who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He says, all right, you've repented. He says, you have eternal salvation. You say you're in the family. You say you're a Christian, then your life will show the proof of your repentance. What he's saying is what you do in the dark shows the proof. What you do outside of the sight of brothers and sisters in Christ, what you do when you're in the world, shows the proof. What we do when we make decisions concerning godly things shows the proof. When we receive the gift of eternal salvation, it is because it is through the gospel message we have become aware of our position as a sinner. God grants us faith, and in that faith we have a change of mind of not only concerning our position before him, but also of Jesus Christ's and that we need him. We make a decision to turn away from the world and to turn toward God, and there will be evidence that we have really repented, submitted to Christ, not only as Savior, but to him as Lord and his Lordship. It is in this submission, our obedience to Christ, that our deeds will be proof that we have repented our ways. The actions that we take and decisions that we make will show the change of mind. And this is simple, but it's scary. No change, no repentance, no eternal salvation. This is something that would be wise to keep in mind. Because I think the church today is very quick in assuming someone's Christian. And I understand and I know that we must go on what someone proclaims. But for that proclamation to be true, it's got to be accompanied by change. If there's no drawing to godly spiritual things, there's a problem. If there's no desire to read the word of God, to grow in Christ, to realize who he is from what he's revealed in his word, there's a problem. There's no desire to come together with brothers and sisters in Christ and we'd rather hang out in the world. There's a problem. If there's no desire to pray and to commune with the creator of the universe. There's a problem. (laughs) 
Pastor Bob shared uh, an interesting fact the other day for me that he, he saw in this article. And it really made me pause, and I had to think about this because, and these are round numbers that I'm going to throw at you, and it has to do with the Assemblies of God because they really keep, they're really, um, I don't know, precise as far as their statistics. And um, they often say, you know, who prayed the prayer, and they want to know who's come to Christ and who's received salvation. And, and so from all the constituents, they get all these numbers that are reported. In the course of the year, the AG reported that 5.3 million people had accepted Christ. And that's not the problem. The next number is the problem. And in the same year, the church attendance for the AG increased by 220,000. Now, I realize you have to leave a little room for going to different churches. But the question here was, what happened to the other 5 million And I have to wonder to myself, what are we talking about as far as true conversions? And I had to wonder to myself, are we doing our job? Are we truly sharing the gospel message? Listen, I understand that we don't know people's hearts, but we have to be careful that When we're talking to somebody about Jesus Christ and we're saying we're sharing the gospel message, are we? Or are we misleading people when it comes to following Christ? Somehow we have watered down getting saved. We have forgotten about or removed repentance. And we really should self-examine and ask ourselves why. We live in a culture where our humanness, in our humanness, we sometimes feel that we need to help the Holy Spirit with his job. You know, maybe if we say it a certain way, or we provide the best environment, or maybe if we add just enough entertainment, or maybe a message that the world deems tolerable, more people will accept Christ. Maybe we feel that speaking about repentance is a turnoff. It'll offend people. So we fall into speaking only about what Christ can do for them. How much God loves them and fills that hole inside of them and fills the void in their life. And you know the thing about this is they're all true. Because he does do that. But it's not the whole picture. Our job is to share the gospel message with the lost. And if we are driven to alter, sugarcoat, or omit any part of the truth to make it more acceptable to people, then we may be coming those who people flock to when their ears itch, when they want to hear what they want to hear, and not necessarily the truth. We need to be careful here, and we need to tread lightly with reverence, because if we feel that we must do the Holy Spirit's job, then it is us who have to repent. In Luke chapter 14, when a large crowd is following Christ, he turns to them and he tells them what's expected of being his disciple. And basically, throughout the story, through the story, he says, you need to count the cost of what your decision is. 
And the cost is basically that every obstacle to the service of Christ must be given up. So this is the question for us. I mean, how can someone truly count the cost if we're not sharing the cost but just the profit? Repentance is not something that we should take lightly or dismiss. Saving faith and repentance comes from God, and it's awakening to our sinful position before the holy God that comes in response to hearing the gospel message. Repentance leads to salvation. What did Jesus say at the beginning of his, message, at the beginning of his ministry? He started preaching in Mark 1.14. He says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of Christ. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. When John the Baptist began preaching, Scripture says this, Matthew 3.1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the deserts of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is who he was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight path for him. How do you do that? You begin with repenting. See, John the Baptist understood that true repentance meant real change. And we see this when he addresses the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came to him because he's baptizing people in water, and they want to be part of it. So they come to him, and he calls them out hard about not repenting and also about being comfortable because of their connection to Abraham. And he says in three eight, Matthew 3, 8, and 9, he says, Prove by the way you live that you have really turned from sin and turned to God. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He tells them their connection to Abraham is not enough, but they need to repent, to believe, to be saved. I understand our desire for people to be saved. And frankly, if you don't have a desire to preach the gospel message, to share Jesus Christ with the lost, then where are you at? We have to look at that. There should be a compassion for the lost who are on a road to perdition, which means utter destruction, who are going to be tormented in hell, where there's a complete separation from God and a gnashing of teeth, and that's grinding your teeth down to the roots, to the gum line. You know how much pain that is? It's a description. As Christians, to share Christ with people, to tell them the gospel message should be the primary thing on our mind, driving our actions. But remember, it's not a sales pitch. You know who lives in sales pitches? The devil. It's not about sleeping better because someone we love just prayed the prayer. And I know I just pushed someone's button. But listen, this is the truth. Maybe a good start. It's about sharing the truth and then seeing the fruits of repentance in someone's life as they've changed their mind and turned away from the world and towards God. God loves us. And he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And he was resurrected on the third day. 
When Peter and the apostles went before the Sanhedrin and they explained what they believed, they said this in their belief. They said this in Acts 5.30. said, The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of the sins to Israel. Repentance for Israel. When Peter reported back to Jerusalem concerning the events that had happened at Cornelius' house and the salvation that had come to the Gentiles, he says this in Acts eleven seventeen. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Repentance to the Gentiles. The gift of eternal salvation, repentance, and faith is a result of God drawing us, allowing our eyes to be opened and changing our hearts. Listen, we know there's going to be struggles, there's going to be mistakes, and sometimes it's a process. But repentance will bear fruit of righteous change for those who are sincere. Without true repentance, there is not true conversion. And for those who are already disciples of Christ, without repentance, there's going to be hindrance. Without repentance, there's going to be valleys. Without repentance, and we start thinking, oh, we're we're forgiven past, present, and future, so I don't really have to do that. It's not what God says. You know, if we're not coming to him and communing and self-examining and repenting those things that are entangling us in the walk in this earth while we're still in these fleshly bodies, we're going to be hindered. There's going to be spiritual valleys. There's going to be a lack of power in certain things that we do because we're walking in pride and not in God. You want to walk in God? Submit. You want to walk in God? Lay those things out. He sees already. We're not hiding anything from him. But he loves us so much, he wants us to be up front with those things, to come to him and be transparent. We're forgiven past, present, and future, but we have sin on this earth when we mess up that's going to get in our way. And God has given us a way to get over that, to get through that. That's with his help, by coming to him and repenting. So it's not just for those, for the lost, it's for us who walk in him. To think that we don't need that, really prideful. In a problem. Well, let me close and start wrapping this up. Just a few thoughts in this last verse. Are we getting the point as far as Scripture preaching repentance? Because, listen, we don't. We preach eternal salvation. We preach the gift of a salvation. We preach if you want it, it's there. If you want it, receive it. We don't take the time to preach repentance enough. You're probably going to get it in this church more than others I've seen. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's so important because when we have that opportunity to share the gospel message with somebody, we are walking in faith knowing that the Holy Spirit's going to do his job. When we tell somebody You need to repent. You need to ask forgiveness for your sins and turn away. (laughs) Because in this life, 
we automatically think they're going to hate our guts when we tell them they need to repent. But we may be missing an opportunity that God provided. So but anyway, so this last verse, 2 Peter 3.8, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. How important it is to God. You know, as we leave the sanctuary today, I pray that we're prepared to demonstrate his love that is within us by sharing the gospel truth, the truth about Christ with the lost. And that includes the truth of repentance. God hates sin. He loves the sinner. And he doesn't want anyone to perish but to come to repentance, which leads to eternal life. And as his children, frankly, so should we. Let us work forward, relying on the power of God, sharing his word, knowing that the Holy Spirit will do his part. And as I close, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads so that I can pray. Lord, we pray that you give us wisdom as we leave here today, Lord, that we will receive what has been spoken to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us for those times when we have not relied on you, but have relied on our own abilities. Help us to trust your word, Lord, that it doesn't return void, and forgive us when we try to do the work of your spirit. Lord, give us strength and wisdom as we share your truth about repentance and eternal salvation with those that are lost. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes as your children in those areas where we need to repent. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We love you and we thank you that you've loved us first. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we all said, Amen. Amen.